This episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast was brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Join 6,000 plus happy salons using Forest to increase bookings and revenue today. Hello and welcome to the Beauty Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauté Industry, Tamara Reed. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauty Industry. Today I have with me two guests, husband and wife duo Lisa and Matt Williams from Professional Beauty Solutions. Family owned and operated by Matt and Lisa Williams, Professional Beauty Solutions started out over two decades ago with just one brand, the ever popular Youngblood Mineral Cosmetics, and has grown to become Australia's most trusted distributor for professional beauty brands. Representing 15 world-class brands, they currently supply over 2,000 salons, spas and clinics across Australia with innovative, high-performing beauty brands, along with exceptional service, training, marketing support and business education. You'll hear today that Lisa and Matt, along with their team of 40 employees at PBS, take a 360-degree approach to doing business with their salon partners while providing an experience of convenience by having all of your business needs met in one single supplier as well as the personal touch of a family-owned business. Matt and Lisa were so kind as to provide us with some seriously generous time out of their busy schedules today as they join me virtually from their headquarters in Sydney. On that note, there is a little internet connection difficulties at some point throughout this conversation, so hopefully you can forgive the internet gods and see why we push forward with this special conversation regardless. From Professional Beauty Solutions, today we welcome Lisa and Matt Williams. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. What a privilege to be able to take some time out of your busy Monday morning schedule and have this chat. I really appreciate that. Um, if you have never listened to an episode of our podcast, we actually start all the way back at the entrance of our guest careers into the industry and I would love to start with you there today because I believe that you didn't always begin in the beauty industry. So how did you actually enter in. It's okay. It's um, we entered 15 years ago in the industry. Um, it's a bit of a long story, a long backstory before this, but um, to cut that long story a bit short, my parents had the distribution of Youngblood Mineral Cosmetics, and they had met Pauline Youngblood whilst um, traveling in the United States, living in California for a while. Um, back at around the mid 90s mm. and uh, my mum was a hairdresser by trade always loved makeup had brought that um, brand back to Australia and at the beginning they had intended on doing some big things um, but their dad had bowel cancer he survived um, uh, but they that kind of re um, 
I guess they rethought their goals at the time. And essentially then they run it like a home-based business with the two of them selling Youngblood from their home for about nine years. Um, the one thing that they did was the annual trade show and they did it in a very small way with a two by two uh, four square meter stand, uh, but that was enough to sustain their business. And essentially, it was um, it was a home based business with no employees, just the two of them. And it had grown gradually in the nine years. And Lisa and I had been real estate for a while, always been in sales and marketing, and had then gotten into um, Gloria Jean's coffee franchises. We owned four on the south coast of New South Wales. Uh, we'd subsequently opened marketing and consulting firm like business consulting firm and a gym so we had our hands full at the time but whilst we were doing these other things we watched uh mum and dad sales just gradually year on year grow and we kept on saying um this has potential you should do this or you should do that and at one stage i think my dad said well why don't you come and show us what to do and i was like well we entertained that idea and he wasn't that great at being told what to do <laughs> so um Anyway, they got to the point where mineral makeup started to get some traction in the Australian market. And mum and dad got the call from the United States, um, the parent company of Youngblood, and said, uh, look, you've done a great job, but we, we're getting approached by some larger distribution houses and we have to consider growing in that region properly. So mum and dad were a bit like, well, we're going to lose our income and this is all we've got. Uh, dad had retired from Qantas, mum had retired from hairdressing many years before that. And so they were a little bit worried about what that would mean for them. And we had seen that opportunity for years. Uh, we saw a good time to exit the coffee shops. Um, and that's a whole nother story about timing and exits and, and when you can notice things that are going on. And essentially we did what we could in a transition to wrap up um, the other businesses that we were in and buy in and take over um, purchase mum um, and dad's uh, business so in the early days i'm trying to wrap up all the other stuff that we had going on and lisa's um doing everything on her own um uh, with attempting to get guidance from my mum and dad um and that you know that they were they weren't they hadn't built anything large they hadn't employed people um they like i said their warehouse was under their stairs at home um and in their garage so uh, so that was a huge kind of transition but we decided to go all in because we saw the potential with that one brand and that was back in 2006 mm. or there around yeah nearly 15 years ago we had two all babies during that time as well so we had um i think your ellie was a year old uh our yeah. youngest was at one and um lucky was and lucky was four yeah yeah so, it was a big move. Um, but owning businesses, as you all know, like owning any sort of business is tricky. And then winding one up and starting another one uh, or winding multiple businesses up and yeah. starting another one. That was so we had to sell, So we time. had to sell out of um, four coffee shops, a gym. The consulting business, I had a, a, a very um, close friend of mine take over, which was which is great and it still exists to this day. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, yeah the, the the four coffee shops and a gym. Uh, so we so we've essentially we've we've started things from scratch, we've grown them from small to big, and we've exited out and sold um, multiple businesses. So um, the last twenty plus years in business together have been there's been lots of learnings. <laughs> Yeah, and that's um, quite a risk to take. I mean, closing down five businesses 
and a consulting agency, having two young ones, buying a business, let alone a family business, which is like a whole nother no. kettle of fish. I mean, you must have seen something that was seriously potential there. Did you, did you already have all of these light bulb ideas that you could do in the business if only it were yours? We saw that it, I, I wore young blood for all those years and loved it. And we saw it basically grow almost through neglect. They did zero marketing. And that was one of the things that we recognized. You're not spending any other than that trade show. You're not spending any money on marketing and or salespeople. They had no sales team out there servicing their accounts. Yeah. So marketing and sales was kind of where our background was. And so we thought there's so much potential for that. If this can grow with really zero marketing and attention and training and um, then what could it do if you added those elements in there? And I wasn't a makeup artist. I wasn't um, a beauty therapist, but I kind of, I always had an interest in uh, makeup and beauty, of course, like I'd been wearing makeup since I was a teenager. And um, so and I fell in love with Youngblood. I felt that it was the best makeup I'd ever used and I was passionate about it. So we, I guess we just, we had passion for the product and we had somewhat of a know-how kind of what to do, but we had no understanding of the industry. So what we've always done with every business that we've ever owned is we've always gotten mentors. We had mentors when we had the coffee stores, we actually had a McDonald's franchisee who was our mentor and really guided us through along our path there. And then so we thought, all right, we need somebody from the industry who can guide us with this being in this industry. And so we found a couple of people who had longevity and a fairly long extended background in the, in the space. And we just started, we started by breaking down what is this industry who is our competition? What are they doing really well? What are they maybe not doing? So where does the opportunity exist? Is there an area where there is a need that is not being met? So we analysed everything just with a really clean slated and open mind, which probably if I look back, I think that was a real advantage because we didn't have any preconceived ideas about what could or couldn't be done. We only looked at what's working, who are the biggest players in the industry. And we were looking at all, like we're looking at skincare companies. We were looking at all different types of companies, not just makeup in the makeup space. Um, And we also looked at what Matt had been doing with other businesses in the gym industry in when he was coaching it was all different sorts of industry Mm. from landscape gardening to steelworks um and coffee shops like the um hospitality industry the real estate market like Mm. we just took knowledge from what works in business and we applied those same um philosophies and strategies into this business and so much of what you do in one business translates into another business. Yeah. In fact, we have a bit of a rule of thumb that 80% of business is identical. And then there's 20% which is different. And that's usually where it comes down to the product and or the service um, in delivering it. Uh, but everything else, like the financials, uh, the leading and managing of people and, um, and stock and um, operations, you could cross over from Customer one thing service, to another. Yeah, yeah, all those things translate, doesn't matter 
in a way what the, what the product is as long as you've got those structural things right. Um, and as Lisa said, um, when when you've got a diverse background, you can say, well, remember we used to try this yeah. in the coffee business. Yeah. Remember we used to do that. What if we what if we took that idea and, and then and then translated it over here? And then finding the talent, of course, the talent of who is the great makeup artist, having good makeup artists, having good um, therapists that understood the industry and the needs of the salon owners. That was a really crucial um, part that we would be focused on filling immediately because that we needed that talent. We needed someone who understood the industry and we just found that talent and, um, and took it from there. Yeah. It's so special. Such a very cool story. I love what you're saying there. Cause I think a lot of people go, okay, I'm going to open this business or I'm going to take over this business. I need a big plan and strategy. And we see, you know, strategy is such a buzzword these days, but exactly as you've described there, I sit down with my business four times a year and I just get out a plain pad and I wrote what's working, what's not working. And then I ask my people around me, what do you think's working? Because sometimes what I think's working is actually not working in the business. And then I ask our audience. And I love that it's just such a simple little exercise to do, but you can find out so many holes, you know, in your business, or you can find what you're actually doing really well in regards to your competition. Um, I'm interested to find out from both of you, because hospitality and real estate and landscaping and all of the other things are so different to our industry, as you've mentioned, really only by a 20%, mm. were there any kind of traits that you had to change or grow or adapt when you came into this industry? And I'll give you an example of why I ask, because I went from dermal working with doctors and dermatologists who are very strict, very black and white, no emotion, pure factual. And I went into spa who are all like, you know, soft as petals, very, very emotional, very empathetic. And I went, oh my goodness, I don't know how to deal with these people. So I can imagine that's just, and that's in the industry, right? Two different streams. So have you found any of those personality traits or characteristics that you've had to change or dull? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously real estates are a very male dominated field. It's very masculine uh, energy. And, 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 and I managed a sales team in that office. I, we didn't own that business, but we, but I managed a sales team. When you've got a sales team of men who are usually um, young guys that are driven and ambitious and all they care about is getting a bigger commission check, it's a very different way yes. to manage to, to get the most out of that team as compared to our sales team now. Although the selling, um, uh, a lot of the same sales um, strategies apply, but our girls care deeply about the success of their salon owner. Whereas the, the guys that I used to work with, like it's like, hey, a sales a sale. If I, if I, if I don't get the, um, the vendor the highest price, it doesn't really matter. I just got to get it over the line. Um, our girls are nothing like that. Mm. Um, so that's, and, and I think that that's because they, they have a much more nurturing energy. So even though there might be similar processes involved, um, that's a huge difference. Absolutely. In the way that we communicate with our sales team and our our team I mean the way we 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 had I've had 90 employees when we had the coffee shops like 90 most of them were under 20 mm. we had um, most of them were either uni students or you know we had a couple of people in their 20s well when we started we were 20 I was 25 myself mm. um so it was we had a we had one or two team members that were older than us but the rest of them were pretty much younger than us um and 
so that was a little bit easy. It was difficult to manage all those teams, but we learned very quickly that, okay, so one of, the, one of my first lessons about how to manage team came from, we had this amazing uh, manager. She'd, been, she'd grown up being trained through McDonald's. But one of the things, that she, the feedback that she gave to us was they were so hard and fast with their rules. You had to put in this process for if you wanted to have leave, most of the time they would say no. So everyone would, of course, just call in sick. So we said, we said well, we don't want that. So we said, well, what can we do? And she said, well, we work really well if you give the opportunity to them to swap a shift and make sure that they can swap it. And there was a few hiccups along the way, but we eventually got it to a place so that nobody was afraid to say, hey, I can't do that shift. And um, and so we would fill it for them. So we had very little people last minute no-shows of people just not turning up for shifts because we, we realised that we had to work within their values, what was mm -hmm. important to them. And we've always understood that if you, if you know what's important to your team members, what motivates them, what drives them, uh, what makes them happy, how to, meet their needs. how to meet their needs, if you can meet the needs of your team members then they will meet the needs that you have as the business owner. And it has to go both ways. If it doesn't go both ways, you will not either hang on to that person for very long or they'll continuously let you down and the care factor simply won't be there for, for them when they're there and you're not there in the business because you can't be there all the time. So if you care about their needs, but you also have to have clear boundaries and expectations, that's still okay. It's not about letting team members walk all over you. It's this very clear defined, these are our expectations, but we really care about you. And if you need some time off, we want to accommodate that. We really applied that same thing with our team members here and then it's that probably that's quite still a feminine energy I would say too and for our salon owners what are your needs um, and how can we accommodate those needs and understanding that the emotional um, charge that many of our clients have over certain things yes that was a much that was very much an adjustment because we'd never well now, you know what? We'd had emotion even in real estate because they always say that um, that your house is your kingdom. Yeah. So people would become yeah. very exactly, attached yeah. to your castle. So people would become very attached to their homes and um, they could be very emotional about that too. So from a, dealing with from a client perspective, there was that emotionally charged that was different. We obviously didn't have that in a coffee shop, but we had it in real estate. So it's Hang on, if they're low on caffeine and they're standing in front of oh, you. Oh, they can cranky them the too. Yeah. They're emotional. Um, yeah. So we we always um we always sort of train our team is to say, look, our salon owners at times they're going to be really stressed. They're not going to have any support around them oftentimes. They're going to feel isolated. Yeah, you're going to feel in over their heads. They're going to feel overwhelmed. And they're going to be struggling and that may spill over to us. And we sometimes become the, uh, and we've had salon owners call back up and say, hey, I'm sorry, I lost it, you know. Uh, and, yeah, so it's just understanding the pressures that they experience and being able to try to accommodate that but also say, okay, um, we can coach you, we can give you the tools, we can make sure that your product is there. If we can get it there within 24 hours, we will. Um, but then outside of that, whatever we can do within our scope, 
of supporting you, we will do. But at the end of the day, we also have to have clear boundaries for our salon owners to say, but this guys, this is your responsibility. We, we can give you the tools and we can give you the guidance and we can coach you, but we can't run on the field um, and, do the, and do the work for you. So if you want to keep your team accountable, that's yours as a business owner to hold. We will try and give you just some strategies around how to do that for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to hold that team accountable. Um, and that's really challenging for many of our clients. Um, I find that they're either really, really soft um, and a lot of, we do some disc analysis um, training with our team and it helps a lot with them when they're dealing with our salon partners as well. Um, and a lot of them are S's. They're that, um, they're all about support, nurture, everyone getting along. They really want that. Um, they don't want, they're not, necessarily goal-driven or results outcome direct driven people. They like to avoid conflict. They like to avoid conflict and confrontation. So you've got a big pool of that type of personality in this industry. I mean, that, that's what that's what brought them into the industry. They're, yeah. they're nurturing. They, they would care for people. Um, yes. And, and, and it I, makes them fantastic therapists, but it doesn't generally make them excellent business owners. Yeah. You do get, though, we get a lot of, we do get some Ds that are super direct super driven, cut to the point, this is what I want, this is what I need, this is what I expect from you. And they're great to work with as well, but they can be like they can be hard as well to deal with sometimes. Um, but if you understand what their needs are again, and you can break down to what is it that you need and can we fulfill that need, um, then, then they're equally great to work with. So it's, it's understanding, like, honestly, I feel like to be in business, you almost need a degree in psychology. Yes. <laughs> dealing with customers, dealing with um, suppliers, um, dealing, like all the, dealing with team members, like all of that requires a level of understanding of what makes people tick um, and what drives people and how do you get the best out of all of those people to come along the path that you want to take them on the journey that you're on, but also um, take them on the journey that, that they want to be on as well. And it's a constant negotiation. Like it's a constant walking a, a line of balancing all of those pulls in different directions. You know, you can have the best customer service and have, um, okay, we used to have a, the franchise would come down and say, your wait times need to be under two minutes. And we go, well, to do that, we have to put another person on. And if we do that, we, the, our, business, is the business is not profitable. Like we were dealing in like single digit percentages in terms of our profit margin at the end of the month. So we had to be really tight with that. So, but sometimes people don't understand that. They just put more people on because they want the service to be amazing, but then the business is no longer profitable. And if it's not profitable, it's not viable. So it's finding that it's finding that balance between amazing service, but also um, and delivering a product that people want to keep coming back for, but also keeping the business in a healthy and profitable state so that everyone continues to be employed and have a job and an income. Um, it's a tricky balance to find.
Yeah, absolutely. I actually do a lot of disc profiling. It's one of my um, keynotes that I that I do for oh. our industry and break it down into, you know, how business owners can talk to their team and then how the team can talk to their clients. Um, and actually I'll put I'll put a little profiling sheet in the show notes if anyone wants to click through if you haven't done it before, um, because it's it's life changing. And all of a sudden you're this little chameleon who can talk to all different behaviors and personalities and and change how you communicate and it is so powerful but yeah I mean exactly what you're saying there it is so important that we are profitable it's so important that we take a step back from the business and we actually look into the business as well Um, I want to take one step backwards because I want to quickly chat about um, young blood so you come in you do sales you do marketing business explodes overnight success, obviously. Right. But, um, at what point did you go? Maybe this can be a distribution. Yeah, we, um, I think that there was, um, there was a few factors that the first thing is we, we hit about a thousand, um, customers and we thought this is kind of crazy. Like they, 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 um, they're loyal to us. They really like dealing with us. We should sell them something else. Um, and they're getting their skincare from somewhere. They're getting their tanning from somewhere. They're getting, um, you know, other products from, from elsewhere. And so we thought, we thought two things and we weren't too urgent on it, but it was, the, the spark was there. Um, the first thing we thought is coming from, um, Irish background in both of us. Um, we naturally have, um, what do you call it? I think that, um, I, I think I introduced myself the other day as, um, Fitzpatrick one and Fitzpatrick two. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's about, that's about as, um, dark as we get. Um, some of, I'm only a fraction darker than Lee. So we, we were always like, look, we've got to have our own tanning brand. And mm. then we, we thought the smart thing to do would be all the additional brands that we bring on. Let's make them all of our own. So we started with tanning. And we developed Sun Escape. So essentially, we were no longer just distributing someone else's brand, but we put on our own um, hat as being a manufacturer. And that was the hardest thing we ever did. Um, and it was it was really challenging because you don't when you when you're distributing someone else's brand, you you say yeah we'll order fifty of that and five hundred of that. When you're doing your own brand, you need to buy ten thousand bottles and get two thousand filled and hope for the best. So it is it's a Huge ball game. So when we so Sunscape has been great for us. It's been um, an excellent brand. Our salons love it. Uh, but it also put into perspective, we're not just yet cut out for doing our own skincare brand or anything else. Uh, so then it was actually a competitor of ours that um, that lost the distribution of ID Bare Minerals and MD Formulations. It was um, Mandy at True Solutions. We didn't know Mandy personally, but we knew that Shiseido had come in and purchased those brands. And overnight, um, she didn't have those brands anymore. We looked at each other and were like, holy shit, if, if, um, if one of the P&G or one of the big groups comes in and buys Youngblood, we don't have a business when it was just that one brand. Like this is as we're bringing, as we're developing Sunescape. And, and we were looking at uh, different models, like uh, True Solutions had a had a bigger model yeah. with multiple brands and equipment and, and equipment. So we thought, okay, 
as a distributor, you have no security um, when you're just at the mercy of another company. When you so, just have, especially when, and you, when have you just one. have one brand. So we thought we have to actually um, spread our risk over uh, more brands. And obviously our own brand is the, is the ultimate and the ideal, but it was really challenging. And then we just, over time, we were fortunate that we got offered other brands. I think we our, had our built reputation of yeah. what we had achieved with Young Blood, especially when mum and dad had been doing these four square meter trade shows and within five or six years we were doing 100 plus square meter trade shows and people would come down and go well so who's the company doing young blood and then and we were the number one young blood distributor in the world despite only having the, one of the smallest populations yeah, we've got world. a population half the size of california and we were doing more in sales than anywhere else in the world yeah so mm-hmm. it was that kind of thinking well and then we had someone like a relationship partner introduced us to a brand um, and then we got into actually we had two relationships one from New Zealand and one from the UK we got introduced to image and we got introduced to um, Dermalux LED and they were both off the back of good relationships that we had developed uh, and through partnerships through partnerships in fact it's probably noteworthy um, this applies to another story that we tell from early on, but we'll save that for a, another um, podcast, the prequel podcast, perhaps. But there's a great line. Um, people say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I had a mentor once say to me, um, both are incorrect. It's not what you know, and it's actually not who you know. It's who you know that knows how good you are at what you do. Because okay. said, if you know people, but they're not aware of what you're able to do it's useless but if you know people and they know that you're that you're driven that you can produce results and you can get things done he said then the world just opens up and i got told that as a young man and i was like okay so i need to network i need people without sounding arrogant when i'm you know but gotta let people know that i'm a guy that will follow through and do what he says he's going to do i pride myself on that my whole career i've always thought I'm going to be the guy that always does what he says he's going to do. And that's hard, by the way. It's it's the pressure that we put ourselves under not to let people down. It's a daily pressure we both wear heavily. Um, and and, and, that is, that's, and that's suppliers and that's um, salon owners and that is team members. Yeah. Um, and, and, and really, uh, even though we're the only stakeholders uh, in the business, but it's, it's the business profitability. We can't let ourselves down either. We've been through years where it's like, wow, we're, we're, we're keeping that brand because we're growing the sales for the supplier. Um, we're servicing our accounts and giving them more and more and more. And we're um, keeping our team happy by uh, meeting all of their needs. And where's all our money? <laughs> um, and we've invested so much into this. And we've had years like that. So it's important to be able to... Um, I don't, in our opinion um, and, and the methodology that we apply to our business growth is that none of those should um, uh, come before the other. They, they, they all should be balanced. Now, at times, you make decisions around which one needs to take a, a front seat. Uh, is, it, is it satisfying a supplier? Is it satisfying a customer? Satisfying a team member or satisfying the bottom line of the business? But they're always in flux and always need to um, be taken care of over the course of, like, let's say, a quarter or a year. And, um, and that's important to, to keep things operating and functioning. Yeah. yeah. It's not, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. challenge. After the break, Matt and Lisa share how they navigate the many relationships in their life between competitors, their team, their brand partners, and of course, their relationship together. But first, a word from today's beauty partner. 
Community, I know many of you are working on your business at the moment, and perhaps that has involved you thinking about changing software providers and looking at stepping up your marketing game. Well, our friends at Forest Salon Software are offering free setup and migration for a limited time only. This means that you can simply move your software over to Forest for free. And yes, you heard that correctly. Contact the team at Forest today to arrange a free bespoke consultation by clicking the link over in our show notes. Thank you so much to Forest Salon Software for making this episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast possible. Now back to Matt and Lisa. It is a challenge. Absolutely. What I'm hearing from you both when you're both speaking and you're such an adorable couple because you're finishing each other's sentences and we'll touch base on how that relationship works later. But what I'm hearing from both of you is just how important relationships are. And when you're both speaking about your competition, to me, you're not sounding like, oh, that's our damn competition. We've got to be better than them. I can hear that you're both saying, you know, we admire what they're doing over there and we want to be as good or, you know, we want to get there as well. Um, I'll just say on that point, because I mentioned Mandy and True Solutions. Um, firstly, we looked at her model as um, as an excellent model. She was um, years ahead of us get, getting into the industry, and it broke our heart when she lost those two huge brands. Um, it re- really Absolutely. did. Like, we didn't even know her personally. Our thought is, um, and I know it sounds trite, but it's true that it's not about dividing up this finite pie. We can all bake a bigger pie, and that's what we like. I mean, there's there's somewhere between 10 and 20,000 salons, spas and clinics around the country. We're, we're a big player at, and we've got 2000 clients. So it's like, Hey, there's, there's so much more. And I, I love chatting with, um, with competitors, um, and, and getting insights. And, and we're in awe watching people that are doing anything well. We're like, Oh, what are they doing? That's great. That's clever. Um, if we can learn from our competition, um, oh, Always, we always have the most respect for every and empathy, I think, too. For yeah. uh, there's been a few things that have happened recently to one of our competitors, and I'm I feel sick for her. Like, I think, oh, mm. that's a real challenge that she's going through that at the moment. And we know that they're going through the same things that we're going through as well. So, yeah, we've never had this, um, oh, that damn competitor no. attitude. Um, it doesn't mean we're not competitive and we don't want to win. <laughs> I think you can't be an entrepreneur and be in business unless you've got that competitive yeah. streak. We definitely have that. But it's like, I guess it's like going to a race meet. You know, you go and you chat to your people that you're about to sprint against. Um, but at the end of the day, you still want to, yeah. you know, want to be on that podium at the end of, of that race. But it doesn't mean but it doesn't. Beating, yeah. it, it doesn't mean you at the expense of anybody else. Yeah. yeah. Like when mm-hmm. people talk about um, like demolishing the competition. It's like, oh, that just doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't resonate with us at all. No. I think Apple's a better company because of Microsoft and vice versa. Um, you don't, I don't think it, um, you, you should be inspired by your competition to, um, to build yourself up and get better yourself. And exactly. And hold yourself to a higher standard. And we say that to our salons as well a lot because sometimes they do get really stressed out about what's going on down the road. And you do kind of have to say, have a look what's going on down the road. That's fine. But then come back and just 
say, how can we do, do that better? Yeah. How can we deliver a, a service that's even better for our clients and wow our clients and just worry about what we're doing with our clients because the rest will come. Um, just focus on your own race and doing the best and, and, and being ethical and being um, consistent and caring for your clients. That will all, and that will always win out in, in the long run. Um, yeah, but I think sometimes people get a bit too stressed about their competition. You, it's, yeah. We don't stress about it at all, really. Mm. And we stress you, about you, lots of other things, but that's one of the things we don't stress yeah. about. And when you mention relationships, I, I'll never forget about, well, I'm forgetting the date, but our, our um, office and warehouse here at Cornell was um, pretty much levelled by a tornado back in, I think it was December 2016, um, a tornado and like not, I'm not just using that. It was an actual tornado came through and no. um, it sucked the windows out. It ripped the roof off and we were displaced for These about glass walls collapsed. Yeah. For six months yeah. we we're out of our business and we we had to temporarily go to another premises and it was just, it was shocking. It was five days out from Christmas and um, the worst, about a one and a half million dollars worth of damage. Um, just insane. Uh, right. But, you know what, what was amazing at that time? We had competitors reach out and offer to ship product for us. Yeah. And that was just like, oh, that's incredible. And yeah. I think that, you know, you, I guess, um, I just think that's amazing of them to offer. Um, and, but also you get that offer if you're um, an asshole. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and it is a small industry right so you've got to keep those relationships good you don't want to be burning any bridges because your next boss could be your ex-employer you know your your ex-employee so um really really important um i've heard you both speak uh, passionately about helping business owners and i can hear it come through your voice today and you use this word 360 degree approach what does that mean when it comes to the support that you guys provide within your brand? Do you want to start on the product side? Yeah, so from the so there's a business side that there's chances that one's a business side and one's the product side. So what we sort of thought as the business started to develop and we bought in more brands, we had to really think about who did we want to be. And we didn't want to have a, a company that had lots of competing skincare brands or lots of competing makeup brands or tanning brands. We wanted to have this more holistic uh, approach to what our salon's needs were. And we, we, we sat down and mapped it out and we said, right, so they've got the makeup, we've got that box ticked. Obviously, skincare is a big one and having and, and skincare broken down into a couple of different categories. So you've got cosmeceutical skincare and then you've got more organic end of the spectrum as well. And then there's body care uh, in terms of body products and body treatments that the, that the mm-hmm. salons were doing and the spas were doing. And yeah. then there's them tanning. So that, that was another area that we thought we can we can satisfy that need. We did look at hair removal, so and and we that's where we took on sugaring, and we thought, well, sugaring is a really natural, evolving. It's a great way to remove hair. There's lots of these benefits over just traditional waxing. And then we thought, the other gap there is equipment, um, and you know, so much of the businesses are evolving with really good quality. Um, equipment and the first step into that was LED for us and we could not have partnered with a better company out of the UK who were coming out with some really exciting technology that was sort of disrupting that LED space a little bit because there wasn't a lot of competitors in there when we first 
came into that industry. There's a lot more now. Um, but we looked at the return on investment that LED could provide to a business and that was mind-blowing for us because we could go in and say, okay, this is what we can do with your, um, with your menus and this is what we can do with your ROI on every facial treatment that you mm -hmm. do in your business. And we know that skin and face is where the, the most of their revenue for the majority of salons comes from. Um, and then we, so we looked at the technology side and then that started to evolve. Like we've just launched um, Linton lasers in Australia. We just got our TGA approval through a couple of months back and we're now sort of um, selling the first devices. But that was a company that came off the back of Dermalux and it uh, was an, an introduction. And uh, the technology, they come out of Manchester University. So we've partnered with really strong partners and then the other thing was internals, like that 360 degree. We know that skin doesn't just get treated from the outside. It's so much of whether you get results with your clients is what happens on the inside. And so we partnered with a company who was developed by a lady who was a beauty therapist for 30 years and then also a fully qualified nutritionist. And she combined, and she saw the gap in the industry as well and combined those two um, forms of knowledge that she had developed mm. and and launched her own brand it's a really great brand for treating the skin internally she's her knowledge is just amazing so, um, so it was kind of like okay if we can give you all of the the products the brands the devices that you need we can essentially be this place where you don't, you need, to you don't need to go anywhere <laughs> else and then on top of that we have laid in um the business and marketing support. Yeah. So we, so we the, give our salons this marketing on a platter is what we call it, um, or MOAP for short. And we create marketing sets for them to be able to sell through the promotions that we give them. We teach them how to do, you know, um, marketing, social media. Um, so any types of tips or how to send out email, um, we create webinars and we put it all on this platform for free for them. So the education has that it's that 360 or well, that's goes yeah, into so more what Matt's going to probably talk about the 360 degree approach for a business in relation to how how they can actually grow and scale their salon so often um a salon owner has they struggle with money and they think okay well i've got i don't have enough money um well when more customers come through the door that means more money so what i need is just someone to help me with my marketing so i can bring more customers in right so that's usually the 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 thinking process of a salon owner when they're addressing um their biggest concern at the time which often comes up as, as money and sometimes it comes up as people and sometimes it comes as, and then you're playing a game of whack-a-mole um so the 360 degree approach to that is I, I would tell a, talent, a salon owner, and, and we offer um, webinars and education on this, is that you, you don't want to necessarily, necessarily start with marketing. If you haven't addressed the, um, the profitability model of your business and you're not making money on certain services and then you drive more people through the front door, you can just go broke faster. So you have to get some other things in order first. And then I would also add, if your team is losing people on the back end because they're not following protocols and they're not taking care of people, then driving more customers through the front door is not the solution either. So I always start with, the, and this is where it comes 360 on the business side, is you need to start with a competitive advantage before you do anything else. You have to know how you're different to your competitors and what you do special and what you can do that other people can't do. Because without that, you're going to struggle with the other areas.
So that's number one. Then secondly, we need to make sure that you actually have a profitable business model. Are your treatments um, priced correctly in order for you to actually make money at the end of the day? And so often the salon owners haven't considered that because they've priced their treatments based on what their competitors doing down the road. Um, or they're, or they're, they're doing nails and they're comparing it to a nail bar where let's say sometimes, you know, they, they just can't compete on, on price of a, of a large nail bar. So, so the second thing after competitive advantage, we need to make sure the profit model is set and it's actually operatable. Then and only then you look at your team um, before you address sales and marketing. So you got to make sure that your team is able to follow through and execute the promise to the customer and they understand your vision and your mission in the business so that, uh, so that they're on board with you. And then if you've got all of those three things first, then we can go really, really hard on marketing and sales to drive people through the front door. Then finally, where you come back to 360 is you, after having done all of that, the business is going great. You can't rest on your laurels. You have to look for ways to innovate and ways to get better in order to maintain that competitive advantage that you started with. So that's where it comes full circle every single time. Um, and if a business doesn't do that, like you've got juggernaut businesses. No one remembers Research in Motion, the guys that started the BlackBerry. <laughs> um, Nokia uh, are no longer, you know, real competitive in the marketplace because they failed to innovate. So at a, at a huge level and at a tiny level, if you're not constantly innovating and looking, looking for ways to actually get better um, and then reinvent that competitive advantage and then do everything, then you can reprice your services and then you can inspire your team. Now, this is the thing. If you've got, you think about a salon owner because so often their biggest challenge is their team. Um, and it's like, they want to know, oh, what sort of ad can I run or what sort of, where can I look for people? It's like, okay, hang on a second. If you're a salon, a spa or a clinic with this amazing competitive advantage, and you've got a profitable business model, which enables you to maybe pay above the award for people or offer them bonuses that are more lucrative, you need those two things before you start looking for where you can find the people. Um, so start to probably they start to knock yeah. Everyone wants to knock on your door. So, so people get business. And by the way, I don't blame them for getting it wrong. It's taken me two decades to figure that out myself, um, and I've and lots of trial and error. But um, another mentor of ours used to say, you want to take all of your knowledge and attempt to compress decades into days if you can. Um, and that's what we endeavour to do now, where we take the knowledge that we've had from from every challenge that any salon owner out there, whether they've got multiple salons or just one, uh, we've likely faced it and we've likely got um, an appropriate solution or idea that may work for them and implement for them. So, so that's how I, get, I, th I feel like that's our best point of difference as a distributor. Um, our, our given is we, we only offer world-class brands that we vet very carefully. I think I said to you the other day, we say no to multiple brands every week. Um, and some of them are good, but if they're not the right fit for us and our salon owners, um, we don't take them on. So we're saying no all the time. So if we've, if we've got a brand, rest assured, um, uh, it's world-class. And then on top of that, it's not just about providing you with that brand, um, but providing you with what you need to make that brand a profit center in your business. Yes. Oh my goodness. You're just speaking all of my language because uh -huh. one of the biggest questions I get asked is, you know, how can I run a marketing campaign or, you know, I want to just do a promo, you know, yeah. and, and my question back to them is why, why do you want to do a promo? Why do you want to do a marketing campaign? You know, and um, there's a lot of people out there at the moment. And I, I know there's going to be so many people coming into this industry doing the same thing where they go, oh, just chuck a $29 micro special on for, you know, two weeks and you're going to book out. And then the problem with that is great cash flow, 
fantastic. But yeah. you've got a team who doesn't stack up in terms of their communication. They don't know the values. They don't know why they're doing the promotion. They don't know how to rebook. They don't know how to prescribe to their yeah. clients. Plus then, what are you actually showing as your values if you're just continuously discounting? And as you said before, Matt, then you've got this unprofitable service, which you're just mm -hmm. churning out. You've got to pay your yeah. wages, your rates, your overheads for $39, you know, for that's the revenue. It just makes no sense to me. So I really appreciate that. But on another level, it seems to me like you guys are actually training business owners in the gap from being a therapist to being a business owner, because there's a huge gap there. And I think a lot of distributors go, okay, we need to churn out product knowledge. We need to churn out education on ingredients because we know that education sells, but you guys are like, hang on, we've got to do that obviously. Yeah. Cause that's how, that's how that's they know the knowledge, yeah. but here's all of this other extra tools in your belt that you can actually use to be a business owner, which I love. Yeah. We, we've, we always look at, um, there's a big difference between um, causation and correlation that Lisa and I are very careful to not get caught up in. So people think, well, this happened because of that. And we're like, well, well hang on a second. Um, well, where, where's the source of the problem? Um, I think around, um, we met as teenagers, one of the first part-time jobs that I had, well, it was a full-time job, but it wasn't, it wasn't a career. Um, but I sold seminars when I was a teenager. And one of the guys I sold seminars for um, was Michael Gerber. And um, oh, he wrote perfect. the E-Myth. And if anyone um, is not familiar with it, I recommend they, they buy it and read it. But the they should do by now. I think I talk yeah. about it on every episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we talk exactly. about it yeah. as well. um, and, uh, and it, But I think that that entrepreneurial myth that, um, that starting a business makes you an entrepreneur and that most business owners start as, um, as the talent. Um, so whether it be the therapist that opens their own doors because all their friends and family say, you should start your own business or the, or the builder that does the same or the plumber or whatever. Um, uh, because of those early days being exposed to Michael and, and his teachings, um, we fortunately never fell into that trap. So that first, you know, growing up, even though, uh, Areas that we were in, we we're always in like commission driven areas. But the first real business that we had um, in our mid 20s, which was the coffee shops, I didn't even drink coffee. And, um, and we learned very quickly when we went to multiple stores that I couldn't be there every day. Lisa was um, about to have our first bub, so she couldn't be there every day. So we had to set it up to work on it rather than in it. And when we moved that, made that move from um, coffee to cosmetics, um, again, we, we didn't have that background. So we couldn't jump in and get too hands-on. The one business that probably wasn't um, a huge success for us was, was the gym that we owned. And I put that partially down to the fact that I know my way around a gym and I can actually, that's, that's what everyone thought that I would grow up and do own a gym because that's what I was into as a teenager. And that's the one business that didn't thrive for us <laughs> probably because I just went too hands on. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. It, it's important for us to be able to teach business owners the fundamentals. I think we um, had a chat the other day and I like the idea of, um, uh, like a training program being called fit for business because most people aren't, for it yet and I think that there should I mean I'm not for more regulation in any area but um, you say but, this all, I know but, but there should be a pre-required course to do before you get an ABN yeah. um, and, well, and in if, Germany you can't open a business without having a bachelor and I, here we just go oh ABN done $35 yeah. open 
Yeah, exactly. And and it's for it's like um, it's like wearing a, a seatbelt being required or wearing a helmet. It's it's for the person's own best interest because people will blow their money um, starting a business or if not their money, their time and their relationships if they're not cut out for it. And uh, there is a great passage. I'll um, I'll send it to you after this, and I I can't quote it off the top of my head, but it's from a Gerber book. I think it's Emith Mastery, where at the beginning of the book, he, there's a couple of paragraphs where he talks about what's required from a business to to be successful. And I'll never forget. We had a friend. Um, they started a business. It was um, and they were like six or nine months into it, and they're like, so so what do I do to like I'm really, really struggling and they, they went into detail about the, the challenges that they were facing with it. And I read this friend that passage, they were having dinner at our house and I, I went and got the book off the shelf and I read her that passage. Um, and she said, that was the moment I decided to close my business. And it was, and she said, it was the best move I ever made. Because she said, I didn't just keep on going for another two years. And I hate to be. I remember thinking yeah, you remember that. that and moment. I know it was the best decision for yeah. her and their family. And they're in a way better position now yeah. because she, she went and got a job. Yeah. Um, um, and the job was way better, way more lucrative yeah. than it was when she was trying to run her own business. And um, sometimes people just are fantastic at doing the craft and running a business is not their thing yeah. and however if if that if that drive is in someone and they and they want to these are teachable skills anyone can do yeah. it it's whether or not you've got it in you to want to go down that path and study and devote so much time and energy into it um and and you also have to consider the balance of family and i and i think that I, you probably talk about this tomorrow i imagine that like that balance of as women owning our own businesses, generally it's not that we own our own, our own business and our husbands are at home looking after the kids. No, mm. we're trying to do both mm. husbands at his job or has his business. And then we have to try and raise children and run the business. Um, and, and that is just, it's massive. Like it's, I think that women underestimate the, yeah, the drain of doing, trying to wear those hats, too many hats. And we do, we wear all the hats um, and the burnout rate. Just, I think yeah. women just keep going though, don't they? Like they just keep thinking, well, this is it. I just got to keep doing this. And, and the only tough. thing that we want to be able to offer is perhaps, and, and I'm definitely not shortcuts. I don't think there's any such thing, um, but we can offer advice of pitfalls to avoid for sure. And, and, and I think, uh, I will also share a secret that I don't feel like I say this enough and it's not that I try to hide it, but, um, if you've got your own business and you've got children and hubby's got his own job or business, then outsource, like mm. outsource. We had a nanny. We did actually did daycare for the first few years. And then we realized we're spending an absolute fortune in, childcare here maybe someone at 20 bucks an hour a few afternoons a week would probably be more viable here um but we have had help at home like we got a nanny like a night our first like one of our first nannies was 19 years old but she was just brilliant she was amazing like still, a big sister like, still like a big sister and still part of our family now um and and I have an ironing lady, like I have someone, and I, everyone, most everyone has cleaners these days, but I have a house clean once a week. I have an ironing lady a couple of days a week and we had childcare when the kids were little. And 
that was transformative as well. If you can outsource some of that stuff, tasks, tasks yeah. that you can then free up to work in your business, mm. that was a massive game changer for us and it allowed us an ability to um, wear that hat properly rather than trying to juggle with switching hat. Like you still do that, of course. And my kids are teenagers and they still very much need their mum and dad and, and have challenges that we have to be there for always. But that's what I would say. If you can outsource, like if you've got a business, like invest the money, you'd be amazed. You do the menial tasks. That yeah, and then you'd be amazed at what you can then go and invest back into your business and turn a profit faster mm. if you're freed up to, do you know what I mean? Like, and I think that women, I don't know if they're ashamed to admit that, that as well sometimes. And I was, I think, for a long time, I felt a bit guilty about it. But then that just meant that when we got home, we could have more quality time with our kids. Um, and that's important, I think, especially for mums. Um, I said that to my husband the other day. He said, oh, you know, how are you going to do everything? And no, he said, he said, not how you're going to do everything. He said, it's going to be fine. You'll be able to do everything because you just work from home and, you know, you've got, you can have the baby there and you can have the slow cooker on and make the dinner and then you can go in and take a call and it's just all so easy. And I said, absolutely not. I said, we'll be getting HelloFresh. We'll be getting the cleaner in. And I said, and if I need to do a big day of calls, you'll be taking a day off. Let me tell you, there's none of this. I'll oh, put the slow cooker on and take a Zoom okay. call and just rock the baby in the corner. You know, I was like, something's got to give. I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say, um, uh, and I responded with the divorce papers have been sent. <laughs> <laughs> like I've got girlfriends that have their own business and this not in this industry, but in just their own, they're entrepreneurs and they get to the place where they're like, oh, I actually need you to take a week off so I can just have a block of a week to get mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. stuff done. And the husband's just not understanding that at all. And I think there is this real lack of understanding everywhere from men and i'm not saying all men um no, no. like <laughs> I'm not, but that but it, it's so much more common than it not is. um that men don't really get that juggle of and also like i will say this is that coming to work at a separate place is so much easier than trying to work from home mm -hmm. because you are leaving that behind and you but when you work from home, it's like, oh, I'll just put a load of washing on. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll put the soap cooker on. Oh, I'll just vacuum the floor there now. That's dirty. Um, and you just don't get the work done that you need to get done. Or, and the kids are, I need this, I need that. And, like, it's impossible to get that done. Like, it's really challenging. And they don't understand that because they don't experience it because they get to have the freedom to go off to work and speak to adults during the day. Um, even that is, like, a source of mental anguish when you just don't get to interact with other adults if you're working from home as a mm. you know as a mum I, I suffered probably very deeply in the early stages because I was doing I was doing the books for the shops from home and I was juggling the drop off to daycare and then trying to get to the office do a bit of work then go admin, back and pick all them up admin tasks. yeah and um it's so hard like it's so hard and I I don't know that I have any advice except to say it doesn't last forever and will get easier once they go to school it's so much easier mm. but um but help for those um if you can get places, help yeah, like a little bit of help helpful. here and there in like little chunks of blocks um i cannot 
I cannot endorse that enough. Yeah. And it and pays even, itself back. Correct. And even if people are listening to this going, oh, well, I don't have kids, if there's still something that you're not good at, like the books or, you know, like the marketing or, you know, I am so shocking at running events, which is why I have an events manager. Like I am not good at doing my books. Therefore I've got a bookkeeper, you know, so it's about outsourcing everything and coming back to what you were saying before, Lisa, there is this sense of pride, you know, like we as women should be able to do everything. And I'm putting should in like little rabbit marks, right? Because you know, even when I said to my husband, we'll be getting a cleaner, he goes, oh, but you know, rich people get a cleaners. And I was like, no, people who have dirty houses get cleaners. Like there's no need for like ego or guilt or anything attached with it. You can't do everything. So you've just got to outsource it. You do. And and if you know what, if you look at the tasks and the elements of the business that you're good at and, or um, you think about what you'd like to earn from your business. And then you calculate that as an hourly rate. It's like, okay, well, I've got to value my time at X dollars per hour. So anything that you can outsource that's under that is then a good idea. Because if you can spend more time doing the more, um, the higher dollar productive activity and and delegate um, and outsource anything that you're not that, that does make you feel strong and that you can actually get someone else to do it for a lesser amount mm. it's a good decision so yeah the house cleaning thing if you can get a, um, a cleaner for 40 bucks an hour but you know that you the task that you're going to be working on while they're cleaning the house is an 80 dollar an hour task then you've made a good decision you don't have to be rich to make that decision yeah absolutely um i'm curious to know we're kind of already answering this question you guys are so great together but how do you go working and also living with each other because i would absolutely rip my husband's hair out <laughs> look we get we get this question a lot and i always answer it this way is that we're very lucky and matt and i yes people make their own luck and we believe in Um, and we do have to work at it and I'll come to that. But for the most part, we're very much, um, in, in sync in that Matt has a set of skills that I don't have. He's definitely, I mean, I am a numbers person and I love a spreadsheet and I love, um, I'm quite, we're both D's. That's the other thing is we're both quite high D's. He's probably more D I I'm more D C. So Mm -hmm. I'm more operational. I'm more about systems and the operational elements of getting the stuff done. Um, And so I'm kind of managing over that stuff. And then when it comes to spending the money, I'll come in and go, okay, these are all the numbers. This is what it's going to cost. Do I make this decision or that decision? And so we kind of operate that way. If it's got anything to do with lawyers, insurance, um, accountants, um, taxes, all that stuff, like he's really good at that stuff. So fortunately for us, we really have a, a, a different set of skills and then when it comes to the overall direction that we're heading um we're we're moving we always want to move in the same direction Mm. um we did once we once had and that's more the visionary uh and he's more the i think at his heart and his essence he's more the entrepreneur than me i'm the like get in there 
and get it done kind of person. Um, we had one, we, we had a clairvoyant actually, this is quite funny, say a to long us time a long time ago, like mm-hmm. 20 years ago, say, you're, Matt, you're at the top of the tree pointing and Lisa's down in the jungle with a machete cutting through the, <laughs> through the <laughs> and um, then jungle. Said, and then she said, Matt, you walk down through all the, through cut, the jungle, yeah. climb the next tree and go, all right, going, that, going way. that way. <laughs> and we kind of, it is like a little a bit. bit like that. A it's bit. not quite. I mean, we're both, you know, Doing hands on, hands on yes. very much and there, with that, our business. And there is a definite, like, the, my skill set, there's Lisa's skill set, and the overlap is quite well. Yeah. Um, sales and marketing and, um, and a whole bunch of, um, like, this, uh, directional decisions, um, strategic decisions, there's overlaps. Um, the, mani- the way we manage team, like, the, our yep. philosophy around all of that, that's kind of all aligned. But then I will also say this, is that where we struggle probably more than anything is sometimes the balance of it can sometimes just be the way we parent or um so it doesn't mean we don't have those moments where we are in conflict of i think this and he thinks that and in those times around the team member occasionally occasionally pops up where yeah i think this i think this or even even a decision yeah uh, whether a product launch or a financial thing and um and so we're yeah. also not afraid to go and have a therapy session um if yeah. we get to a place where we, we we usually we can work through it now again we we won't go to the therapist and say hey what do you think we should do about this product no. launch <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we, we get to the source of what is where where are we disagreeing and is it um so we we don't Stay at and a what are, our, a and what are level, our triggers? But we like want to we get understand. to the, you know, the causal level. Yeah, and understanding what our triggers are. Sometimes his stuff gets triggered and sometimes my stuff gets triggered. Mm. And that's where we have to go and seek out support and to understand what has been triggered here and then what is the way through. How does how do, how do I manage my own trigger? How do I help him? How does he help me to manage mine and yeah. vice versa well, as when well? When we know that we're not getting anywhere with the two of us, that's when we'll say, all right, we need... And when you're the owner of the business, like, you can't just... You can't uh, call a team member in for some help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Although, I will say this, we we constantly bring our team in on every decision and we're very transparent with our business, um, with our team, and they know what our mission and values are and we're constantly having to... Do you think they go with you more than me? Oh, <laughs> yeah, like if there is sometimes like let's go. Okay, I think this and Matt thinks that. Like Matt will say, I reckon they go with you more. I don't know. Like no, <laughs> I think that it's split. But um, that that's pretty rare though. Most of the time we're on the same page. Um, it's more like I said, it's more the personal stuff where I think we, if we're in a state two of both of us in a state of overwhelm, generally what will happen is one of us will fall over and sort of fall into a heap, and the other one will step up and be able to manage while that's happening, and then vice mm. versa. And then every now and again too, both of us will just be reach a stage of a bit of burnout, and then we both know, okay, we need to go and get some some support around. Yeah. and have a bit of a break too so it's understanding that stuff it's recognizing triggers it's recognizing burnout and overwhelm Mm -hmm. and we most definitely have both visited those places over the last 25 years um yeah and i don't think that stuff ever fully goes away you learn from it though right like it's like any relationship constantly uh having to you have challenge and then you have to learn from it and um and yeah continue um to move forward with those learnings and then you mess up again and then you learn from that so we're human like it's 
it works pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Well, very refreshing to hear. In fact, um, my, I said to my husband last night, I've just hired a brand new executive, executive assistant and I'm so excited. And he said, stop hiring all these other people and hire me. So after your answer, I may consider 12 months time, <laughs> not tomorrow. <laughs> my girlfriend just did that in, and it's been the best thing ever. Like her husband now works in her business and it works really well for them. I will also recommend a podcast that I've been listening to that's been really helpful too called We Work by Esther Perel. Um, she's a couples therapist, actually. She's got um, a couple of books out, but she's got a podcast that's on the Apple podcast app. And I think she's on Spotify as well. Spotify is um, where I think the we work sits, but it's a great podcast to listen to because sometimes it's not just the relationship with your partner, it's the relationships with your team members. Um, and mm. if uh, it, it's understanding all of those dynamics uh, at play. And I think you'd sometimes need that little bit of outside support. People don't go and have therapy for their, with their team members, but that's what this essentially is, is people having therapy sessions. And it's great to listen to because you kind of like, you go, Oh yeah, that that's interesting. That's a really good insight. Um, yeah, very cool. I'll put that one in also that um, passage from um, the e-myth into, yeah, into the show notes as well. Um, one last question, if I can steal a smidgen of your time, 15 brands, huge, huge company leaders in the industry. Um, if someone were to talk about PBS and the type of business that you guys run when you're not in the room, what do you hope they say about you? I hope that they say that we care. Mm. Yeah. I think that that's the thing that um, is most important that um, so often I think that the suppliers can be seen as just um, uh, having just their own best interest um, uh, as the goal. Um, I mean, you're not just suppliers, like any, any large company can be seen that way. And it's really important to us that, um, that people know how much we care about their business and their success. And not just um, like, yes, it's their profitability, but I, um, our internal um, uh, mission statement uh, or vision, like there's, there's the, you know, the, the client facing one, but, but inside we, um, we have this belief that a profitable salon spiral clinic is a happy salon spiral clinic. Um, and we want our salons to be the most profitable in the industry. And when I say profitable, I also mean um, predictable and uh, businesses that are able to operate um, somewhat without the owner, not completely. Um, I don't think that it's a myth because we've, we've had elements of that with businesses, but I think that a profitable, predictable business that works harder for you than you do for it is the ultimate goal of any business owner. And our salon owners struggle with that as much as any small business owner does. Um, but I would say in some regards, even more so um, due to some of the reasons that we've discussed today. And, uh, and if we can alleviate some of that pain um, whilst, doing our standard job of supplying world-class brands, um, then that's what we want to be known for. But if like, if that's the outcome that we're known for, the, again, getting back to the, the source or the cause of that is because we genuinely care about that. And uh, there's, there's no, no part of either of us or anyone on our team that is happy with the idea of loading someone up with a bunch of stock um, that they just can't sell or that is going to be a hindrance to them. Like it's, um, yeah. It's the furthest thing from yeah. our, and so, it, yeah. Yeah. So that's how I would sum it up. Yeah. Would I, you I 100% agree with that because that's for me at the end of the day is 
what I care about is knowing that people know how much I care. And if there's ever something said and I'm like, oh, that's, that's not true. That's not what it is. Yeah. Um, that can hurt. Um, and because we do genuinely care when you mm. do care a lot, um, it can hurt if people don't see that or know that. Mm. I think um, can I genuinely add that a part of, want. a part of that being our, our purpose is that there, you could see a similar company like ours being run by, um, some guy that went to uni, um, did a degree in um, management and business and um, commerce and then as appointed as a CEO of the company and runs it. Um, it we don't see that a lot in this industry, but it's not, it's not uncommon in, in our industry and others as well. Um, and, and, and the goal of that person running the show uh, is, um, is to make the business profitable and or pay a dividend to the shareholders. You know, that's, that's a typical kind of situation. It's very different when um, the two people at the helm not only um, are still like, yeah, we're medium-sized business, but we're still in that same small to medium-sized category um, as the people that we work with on a daily basis. And we've been doing this type of thing and facing the same challenges um, for the last um, two decades. And we know how painful it's been. We know what it's like to come home at the end of a long day and think, shit, how are we going to actually pay wages tomorrow? And uh, when you've had that feeling, you have empathy. And with empathy, you make different decisions. Um, and very different to, I, I, I remember a period of time before we would talk much about our story. And I think people assumed that I was, that I just went to university and, um, and was, you know, appointed into the role and they didn't realize it was actually, um, you know, a hard slog to get here facing very, very similar, if not identical challenges on a daily basis. Yeah, very impressive. Well, you have definitely left that um, impression on the industry. Everybody who pops into my DMs asking me, should I stock a PBS brand? Um, and I go, which one and why? And then it's it's most definitely absolutely because we can tell that you both care um, from the outside. So you've absolutely left that mark. Thank you so much for coming and being my guest today. I really, really appreciate your time and, and all of your expertise. It's been an Good. absolute pleasure. Thank you so much yeah. for having us. Thanks, Tamara. Talk about a dynamic duo. Lisa and Matt were literally finishing each other's sentences and bouncing off each other the entire conversation. And if that's not adorable, then I don't know what is. You can tell how much they truly appreciate each other in the way that they validate, respect and focus on each other's skills and experiences. And looking from the outside in, it looks to me like that might be the secret sauce to running the hugely successful business that they have managed to create. With 15 brands under their belt, an incredible team and client culture, I'm sure you're going to want to have a little sneak peek into the PBS brand and you can do exactly that by clicking through the show notes or visiting them over on the gram at Pro Beauty Solutions. Be sure to share and tag both PBS and us at Beauty Industry to share the love while you're listening to this episode and don't forget to leave us a little review or rating if you've enjoyed the conversation. Until next time, stay connected.